telling, uh, we put just some invitation cards for you out on the seats. And we would invite you over the next couple of days uh, to just think about and pray about somebody that you would be inviting to join you as we gather for Christmas Eve on Tuesday. Uh, I went down to where our old offices were and uh, talked to our friend down uh, that manages the hockey rink and invited him and his family to come. And so this was just a useful tool to be able to hand him, and he warmly received it. And so we just encourage you to be uh, invitational and thinking invitationally as we move into the next couple of days. Well, I don't know uh, about you, but in this time of year, we start at our house to get Christmas cards. A lot of them come in. Uh, this is not an advertisement for you to send us Christmas cards. If you haven't done that already, there's no guilt, no shame. We haven't sent you one. It's been a busy December around our house. So this is not a Christmas card begging environment, just so you know. There's no uh, shame in any of that. But I've been tracking one of the themes that shows up in Christmas cards. One of the phrases that gets used in Christmas cards a lot. And we've been looking at it throughout the month of December here at Jericho, and it's that phrase, peace on earth. So if you see the phrase peace on earth on a Christmas card, one of the things that I've noticed is oftentimes it's accompanied by a nature scene. It's just blissful snow covering a landscape, and you're just supposed to breathe deeply and feel wonderfully peaceful, uh, apparently, uh, or another option that you see very frequently with peace on earth is the dove. The dove is the international symbol of peace coming to us from the book of Genesis where Noah's experience with a dove meant that it was safe, it was peaceful for them to exit the ark. And so that gets a lot of play uh, around this time. Also, there's some humorous Christmas cards with peace on earth attached to it like this one can see um, that Santa, uh, after all of his work, one day per calendar year, feels exhausted, needs to get away somewhere where there's some peace and quiet, uh, put his feet up in the sand and uh, experience a little bit of rest and peace and quiet. And then there's the slightly more realistic uh, family photo cards that come with the peace on earth. Now again, this is no one at Jericho Ridge on this card, just so you know. This is just off of the internet. But look at how peaceful these people are wearing ties and dresses at the beach. That is not my picture of a peaceful family outing to somewhere sandy. And their image management is pretty amazing. I'm sure at this moment, they all got a capture of, of a peaceful environment. I don't know how many takes they had to do to get that. Oftentimes, if we're taking a family photo for a Christmas card, we have to do quite a lot before we get a peaceful take for everyone. Uh, but this family has managed their image management fairly carefully. Uh, many of us, if we sent out a Christmas photo, it might be titled, There Is No Peace on Earth, and it might look a little bit more like this one which might be just a little bit more authentic. But what do we do with that phrase, peace on earth? I mean, the angels declared it in Luke chapter 2 over and about the birth of Jesus. They said, let there be peace on earth and goodwill to all 
on whom God's favor rests, with whom God is pleased. And so we have to ask ourselves, can we experience this kind of peace? Or was that just some kind of wishful thinking that the angels declared? Well, at the start of December, we noted that when we think about peace, oftentimes, though the Christmas card image of peace gives us that sense of serenity and a sense of maybe a little bit idyllic and effortless and easy, this simply is just not congruent with reality. Peace is actually something that has to be worked at. It isn't easy. You have to contend for it. Pope Paul VI once said, if you want peace, work for justice. In other words, peace just doesn't somehow appear in our lives and in the world. You actually have to work at it. You have to wrestle for it. You have to contend for it in some way. And when it comes, even in fleeting moments, you have to guard it and try and advance and protect it. And this is true in interpersonal relationships. It's true globally. Um, And we are called as Christians to be peacemakers or peace advancers, to contend for peace. Jesus put it this way in one of the places in Matthew's gospel where he was preaching. He said, God blesses those who work for peace. You have to work for it. There's some hustle attached to seeing peace come into our lives, into our world, into the environments. And Jesus says that God names those as part of God's family. They will be called the children of God. So God's family is also called to work for and contend for peace and for justice, not just for themselves, but also for others. And this is one of the reasons why we talked about our Missions Blessing Project, but another one of our initiatives here at Jericho is every year we send a team down to Guatemala and we build homes for those who experience displacement. And we work and distribute food through local churches and we give the gift of wheelchairs. And part of the reason for that is we're working for peace in Guatemala. We're contending and striving to bring justice into environments where injustice is the norm. Because we believe that doing this in the name of Jesus is one way to work for peace and exercise in bringing peace to others. And maybe for you, as you come into the end of 2019, you might be thinking about doing some year-end giving. And I'd ask you to think about, are there areas or organizations that if you give those resources to them, will they use it to advance the cause of peace in the world and work for justice in the world? Maybe you've got an area that's close and passionate to your heart that you think about. In what ways will our actions either through our finances or maybe the way that we carry ourselves online or in person in the closing weeks of this year be representative of our job to be peacemakers. Maybe that's a hard thing for you. Maybe as you think about this next week and the people that you're going to spend it with, it's not naturally a peace-filled environment. And so you might need to prepare yourself a little bit 
for that exercise and to be making sure that you are a person of peace, you're a carrier of peace, you are an ambassador of peace when you go into those environments. So peace is something that you have to work at. It doesn't just happen. And then last week we talked about the fact that peace is, while we have to work at it, it is also a gift. It is God's gift to us. Yes, there's a tension in this. We work at it, but it's also a gift. We need to contend for it, but it's also part of who God is and how then when God comes to us, we're going to engage and experience some of God's character. Jesus, when he was getting ready to leave after 33 years of life here on earth in first century Palestine, he gave his followers a promise about peace and what peace would look like in their experience. And Jesus used the phrase of a gift that he was giving. In John 14, 27, he said, I am leaving you with a gift. It's peace. That's the gift that I'm giving you. Peace of mind and peace of heart. The peace that I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So do not be troubled and do not be afraid. And so peace is not just the absence of hostility, a momentary snapshot on a Christmas card where things look like all is calm and all is bright. Peace is actually relational. It's a relationship gift that we receive from God when we're in relationship with God. Peace is God's gift. It's a relationship of love and loyalty with God and with others. Turn with me in your Bibles or on your devices to Romans chapter 5. And uh, there's also a Bible app inside of the Jericho Ridge app if you need to find it there. And I'll also have the words up on the screen. But in Romans chapter 5, we read about the results of peace. How is it that that angelic declaration of peace on earth actually came to fruition? And then how can we experience that in our lives? A deep and abiding kind of peace that can't be rocked by circumstances. Peter talked about his experiences two weeks ago or by letting when people let us down or hurt us. And Romans chapter five, verse one begins in this way. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Therefore, since we have been made right with God by faith, made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace. We have peace with God, or some translations say, let us have peace with God because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. See, this is what the angels were on about. Because on that day, the angels recognized that the pathway of peace was opening up for us, that the bringer of peace, the Messiah, the promised one, the prince of peace had stepped into history and had brought with him the pathway to peace with God. Look at verse 2. Because of a response of faith to that declaration, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand 
and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. Have you ever experienced that feeling of standing in a place where you knew that you didn't belong by your own initiative or efforts? I can remember uh, one flight that Meg and I took very early in our marriage. We were still both students and uh, somehow the airline had upgraded us for one leg of our flight to business class. I think it wasn't super exciting. It was from like Winnipeg to Toronto, so don't get that excited about it. But they called the flight, you know how they do, and when they call the flight, it's always business class, always boards first. And so here we are, these two students with our backpacks and our jeans and our scruffy jackets, and we, we walk up to the counter, and I can remember real clearly this business person with his nice crisp suit jacket just folded over his arm saying, uh, excuse me, this is for business class travelers. And Meg just handed her ticket out and said, yeah, I know. <laughs> Beep. Walked right to the front of the line. See, we were in a place of undeserved privilege. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We were there in our tega jackets and our jean overalls. And we had received a gift. And we were sitting in a place of undeserved privilege, an unearned upgrade. And we could stand there confidently and joyfully because our ticket was stamped as such. We were allowed to be there because something was done on our behalf. And when you get something that you didn't earn, something that you don't merit necessarily, that's a gift. And so that's the language that is used in Romans chapter 5 here, that this is what peace with God is like. It's, it's an invitation into a relationship with God that allows you to stand in a place that you don't, by your own merit, deserve to stand. When you and I choose to put our trust and our confidence and our faith in Jesus and what Jesus has accomplished in love during Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, we are put into a new standing, into a new place. It's a place you didn't earn by getting religious frequent flyer miles to earn some kind of upgrade. It's a place you can't just get to on your own efforts. It's a place of peace, of mind and heart. And then in Romans chapter 5, peace relationally with God, a peace in your soul at the deepest level of your being. You stand in that place as one who is forgiven, as one who is loved by God. Listen as Romans chapter 5 continues in verse 11. Because of all of this that Christ has done, so now we can rejoice in a wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Friends of God. You stand because of what Jesus has done in a place of undeserved privilege and love. Jesus said at one point to his disciples, we're going to change the language. He said, you're used to being called servants, people who do things for me. He says, I no longer call you that. I'm inviting you into a relationship where I call you friends. 
Servants don't know what their master is on about, but friends have a relationship with each other that's based on love and on loyalty. So now we can rejoice in a wonderful new relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. In the year 1181, in the Italian town of Assisi, a young man named Giovanni di Pietro de Bernardone was born. And I apologize if you have Italian ancestry and that is not how you say it. <laughs> he was born into a wealthy mercantile family. His father was a purveyor of fine silks around Europe, and so he was fabulously wealthy from childhood. So he enjoyed a carefree childhood and a young adult life filled with endless entertainment and pleasure. This is a picture of the house that he grew up in, still standing in that town. And biography.com denotes that he was informally known as Francesco because his mother uh, was, that his dad was married to, was from Provence in France. And so they kind of gave him the name like Frenchy, Francesco. And he was spoiled and indulgent, both as a child and as a young adult. Everything that he could imagine, that he set his mind and his heart to, was provided to him. Fine food, wine, wild celebrations. By age 14, he had left school and became known as a rebellious teenager who frequently drank, partied, and broke the city curfew. But he was also known for his charm and for his vanity. He dreamed of becoming a medieval knight. That was his goal in life. And so in 1202, when war broke out between Assisi and Perugia, Francesco eagerly took his place with the cavalry and bought himself a new suit of armor and went out to fight for his city. Unfortunately, his city lost quite badly and he was completely unskilled in any way at combat, and so he was quickly captured by enemy soldiers. Because he was dressed like an aristocrat with his expensive new coat of armor, they thought, aha, we'll keep this guy for ransom. And so they took him and threw him in a medieval jail where he languished for the better part of a year and they were led off as prisoners and ransom notes were sent to all of their families. And for the next year, Francis, going from this lofty position of being afforded anything he wanted in society, was totally debased and languishing in miserable conditions awaiting his father's ransom payment. In prison, he conducted and contracted a serious disease which stayed with him for the rest of his life. And also during this time, he reported that he began to experience visions of God and visions from God. And God began to do a work in this young man's life. As he began to wrestle for a sense of peace and a sense of peace with God, and with other people that was unknown to him to this point. And so when his father finally got around to paying the ransom a year later, 
He went back home to Assisi, but he was a changed person. He sold most all of his possessions and gave them to people who were impoverished. And he moved out into the wilderness and he began a teaching ministry as he began to really restructure his life around what it would mean to be close to God and close to other people in ways that he had not imagined or known to this point. And he, he had an incredibly powerful relationship with God and also he was incredibly charismatic. And so he drew thousands of followers to him that listened to his sermons and they decided to join him in their way of life. And so his followers began known as Franciscans. And in 1209, he composed a simple rule of life for them. He called it the regula primitiva, or the primitive rule. And it was just this, to follow the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ and to walk in his footsteps. He wanted to have a deeper relationship with God. And Francis was very creative in the ways that he did this. In 1220, his biographers noted that he celebrated Christmas by setting up the first known creche or nativity scene. And because he lived out in the wilderness, he used real animals to try and create a scene so that the worshipers could really get a sense of what that first Christmas might have been like in a direct way. So his biographers talked about how between a real ox and a donkey, he set up a manger, a rough feeding trough, and filled it with hay. And from behind that, he gave his Christmas Day Mass. Francis of Assisi, or as he's more commonly known today, Saint Francis of Assisi, died on October 3rd, 1226, at the age of 44. And his life has left a lasting resonance with millions of followers down through the ages across the globe who have chosen to follow Jesus and given their lives for people. And he's, in fact, one of the most venerated figures in history. And part of this comes out of his lived experience. He had this desire to wrestle with peace that he had not known, to try and work at and determine what it would look like to experience peace with God. And he knew the peace wasn't coming to him because of financial successes or worldly possessions. He knew that peace came to him in a relational way when he came to know God. Peace came to him when he put aside some of those things and he found it in a prison cell. Listen as Romans chapter 5 continues in verse 3. We can rejoice too when we run in to problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops a strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment because we know how dearly God loves us, because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. Friends, if you struggle with peace, 
you find it difficult to hold on to. You can know and experience the peace that Christ offers within the love of God. You can know peace with God, a peace that we celebrate and a peace that we long for at this time of year in particular. And you can not only know it, like Francis, you can be a distributor of it and call others into that peace. There's a now famous prayer which is actually improperly attributed to St. Francis. We have no record of it from his writings. It's highly unlikely that he ever penned it. But around 1918, a Franciscan father, so one of his order that followed him, penned or printed the prayer for peace in French without any attribution. But he put it on the back of a mass-produced Christmas card. And the picture on the front had St. Francis of Assisi. And so forever after, the prayer has become associated with St. Francis of Assisi. And the linkage to Francis's life and work, because it has resonance that he, even though he didn't pen it, would have approved of. The prayer was widely circulated in particularly World War I because it was a prayer for peace. And in 1927, it had appeared in the Quaker magazine, The Friends Intelligener, under, again, a misattributed title. They titled it, The Prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. And here's the English version of that prayer, which some of you might be familiar with. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, let me sow joy. Ron and Anne-Marie and the team are coming and they're going to lead us in a song that is taken from the words of this prayer. And we're going to respond to God in worship. And as we do, I want us to remember that this peace that is promised, this peace that God promises to us, is not just an interior peace. It's designed to be lived out, to be walked out to be carried out of this place and into all of the corners of the world where you're going to go over this coming weeks. But in order to be an instrument of peace to others, you have to know it yourself. It has to take residence in you. And so as the team sings this song, Maybe you want to take a few quiet moments of reflection and just ask God, God, are there any areas of my interior life that are not peaceful? What have I sown there that is now causing those places of dissonance? Perhaps it's an area for you of worry and concern, and you need yet again to make the choice to release that to God. 
That's why we have our prayer teams available. And so Wally and Sylvia and Gary and Betty will be at the back during this time of response and worship and they'll have name tags on and they would love to pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. Perhaps you've never actually taken that decision, that moment where you've said, you know what, I want that peace that God offers to me. And maybe today is the day for you where you say, I I want that. I, I want to reach out and receive that gift that Jesus is offering to me. And the way that you do that is by praying. You simply say, God, I want to receive the gift that you are offering to me thing that you have accomplished for me in Jesus, forgiveness of my sins, peace with God, right standing that starts now and goes on forever. When you know peace with God, you can be an instrument of peace to others. When you have experienced love, you can carry that into the place where hatred is strong. And so as you are thinking and reflecting And as you move ahead into this Christmas week, ask yourself, is there a situation that will require you to be a peace bringer or a peace maker? Maybe it's a conflicted family situation. Maybe you're going to encounter a person who is experiencing homelessness and you can be an agent of the love of God. And so as we sing this song, you're very welcome to stand. You're welcome to sit however you would like to respond, and just spend time asking God, where can I be an instrument of peace this week? Because we are reminded, especially at Christmas, that the love and the peace that God gives to us are not just given to us so we can keep them to ourselves. They are given because we are meant to be peacemakers and peace bringers into the lives of others.